We are in the second week of the Easter season and the second week of our Easter message series. Last week we began by looking at influence, specifically the influence of Jesus of Nazareth. A man who grew up in obscurity in a working class household in an impoverished outpost of the Roman Empire. He never wrote a book, commanded an army, held an office, headed a company. He was not wealthy. He didn't even have a permanent address. And yet, and yet he's had more influence in our Western civilization and in some ways the whole world than any person who ever lived. We date our calendars based on his life, are reminded of his influence in the names of people and places. His influence has inspired the greatest achievements in art and architecture, music, science, medicine. His influence has profoundly impacted how we live and work and arrange our communities. Hospitals and healthcare, childcare, social services, even values as basic as monogamy and democracy have their deep roots in the influence of Jesus of Nazareth. Influence. Influence is a force. It's a compelling force affecting the actions and behaviors, the opinions and thinking of others, and eventually the outcomes they experience. In some ways, our biggest challenge actually comes in appreciating and understanding his influence, because we tend to underestimate it, especially when it comes to how Jesus' influence the views we have or ought to have of one another and the values that should guide how we treat one another. How did it happen? How did he, how did he do it? How did he rise from such obscurity to such influence? Well, he did it by introducing a movement, a movement. He called it the ecclesia. Ecclesia is a Greek word for a group of people who come together on behalf of the larger community with the intention of influencing the larger community. Think of a town hall meeting. The ecclesia isn't only about or even primarily about the people already in the ecclesia. It's mostly about the people who aren't yet there. Jesus came to start a movement like that. And as we saw last week, ecclesia is translated into English as church. The church is supposed to be a continuation of that influencing movement that Jesus introduced. And so we're looking through the course of this series at ways that we can positively influence, perhaps even powerfully influence the people around us. Today, we're going to look briefly at the idea of empowering, empowerment as a way of influencing. We're going to do it, we're going to start off by looking at a passage from the Gospel of John. This particular passage is read every Easter on the second Sunday of Easter, and most of us know it well. It's the story of the doubting Thomas. But today we're just going to look at the first part of that story, which begins in this way. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were out of fear, 
Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. So this is the evening of the first Easter Sunday. The disciples, Jesus' closest followers and friends, are traumatized by recent events. Just two days earlier, they had seen their leader arrested and then put to death in the most savage, the most brutal way possible. They're worried, they're frightened that those who killed Jesus will come after them next. And now they're confused because some women from their group have purported to have seen Jesus alive. Suddenly, at this point, he stands in their midst. He showed them his hands inside. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. He shows them his hands and his feet as a sign, a sign that he's not a ghost or a spirit. He's physically present. He's alive. He's real. He really is the same person that walked with them in life, but now with a difference. Before his death, the religious leaders often questioned Jesus' authority, and basically their criticism, their question came down to, who does he think he is? Well, here he provides an answer. He provides a sign, a sign that legitimates his words and deeds, the resurrection. His resurrection is the sign of his authority. He has authority over death, and that's ultimate authority. And because he has authority, he can also give it away. He can hand it on to his followers, and that's what he does here. Again, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus repeats the phrase, peace be with you, because he wants them to know beyond the trauma, the fear, the confusion, they can be at peace. All is well. All is really well. If Jesus can rise from the, from the dead, if he's conquered death, then ultimately everything is okay, isn't it? Think about that the next time you find yourself worried. But he's not there simply to comfort them. He's there to empower them. Because just as, the, as God the Father had originally sent him to introduce the ecclesia movement, now the plan is to press the disciples into that same service. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are retained. He gives them a mission, but he also gives them the tools they need to fulfill their mission. Specifically, he gives them the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. That Greek verb, breathe, we saw, we've seen before, all the way back in Genesis. God breathed the breath of life on Adam, thereby giving him life precisely in that action of breathing on Adam, God gives him life. In their fear, it's like the, the disciples are, are dead, locked away in a tomb of their own making. Jesus breaks in to their isolation and breathes on them the breath of life, sharing his life, sharing his authority, so that now they can launch that mission, that ecclesia. He's empowering them. 
Did you know one of the greatest ways we influence others is by empowering them? To empower someone is to do something is not simply to allow them to do it, but rather to authorize them to do it. It's giving away at least some of your authority, which at face value, nobody wants to do. But as with any kind of giving, we are not diminished when we give away our authority. As we learn to empower others, we grow just like they grow. Think of it as breathing life into another. When we empower others to do what we do, in a sense, we breathe life into them. We give them some of ourselves, and in just that way, we expand our own influence. Jesus could have influenced and changed the world any way he wanted to, but it turned out the way he wanted to was through us. He deliberately and intentionally empowered his friends and followers with his mission. Empowering someone else is sharing with them your authority. It may be the authority you have as a result of your position or title. Parent, grandparent, older sibling, manager, owner, teacher, coach. It may be the authority you have as a result of your talent and ability your leadership skills, your diplomacy, your communication skills, your humor. It may be the authority you have as a result of knowledge or experience as a medical professional, a first responder, a member of the legal community, a member of the business community, an entrepreneur. You have authority that you can share, and when you do, that's the most effective way to influence others. It's true of every area of our lives. And it's also true of our faith life. We have been given authority in Jesus Christ. Through baptism and confirmation, we have been given grace and favor to serve with him, to serve for him in that ecclesia movement. That's an authority we have and hold. And because we have it, because we hold it, we can also give it away. We can also share it when it comes to the work of the Ecclesia movement, including others. Now, I know that this can sound strange, maybe even a little radical, especially in a Catholic church setting in which we operate in and under a hierarchy. But it is actually our Catholic faith itself that teaches us that we all share in the authority of Christ, and in turn, we can share that authority. Empowering others is one of the most effective ways we can influence others, but often we fail to do it. Why? Well, some people don't empower others because they're insecure. They're afraid. They're afraid somebody else will do what they do better. Some people are control freaks. They don't want to give away anything to anyone ever. Others just don't want to empower people because we like what we do and we want to keep doing it. Besides, who wants to waste time showing somebody else the ropes? It's just easier to do it yourself. Honestly, honestly, I am not actually very good at this. 
I am not very good at sharing authority, delegating responsibility, empowering others, whatever you want to call it, especially, especially if I know I can do it more efficiently. It drives me crazy if I have to step aside and watch somebody else do something I know I can do more efficiently. But if I never bothered to acquire the skills I needed and still need, such as they are, to share my authority, to authorize others, this parish would never have grown. I would have stifled its growth. But as a parish, we have grown and continue to grow even through COVID. We're, we've grown deeper and wider. We've grown deeper and wider when it comes to empowering members. How? How did we do it? Well, first of all, we've grown wider by empowering everybody, everybody in the parish to invest and invite. To invest and invite by investing relationally in your unchurched friends and family, and then when you have the opportunity, inviting them to church. That's sharing in the authority of Christ. And just that way, we've grown wider, but we've also grown deeper, empowering members to become ministers, and oftentimes empowering ministers to become ministry leaders, and from time to time, empowering ministry leaders to take the step to join our staff. A few weeks ago, we actually dedicated the whole weekend to ministry, inviting all of our members and regulars to serve in ministry. Many of you did. I always make that distinction between members and regulars, but it's a distinction without a difference. Some people aren't technically members because they haven't actually joined, even though they join us all the time. And so they might absent themselves from service on the basis of that technicality. But if that's you, if you're a regular, if you regularly join us, go ahead and consider yourself a member, because we do, and then consider stepping up to serve. Serving in a ministry is not just about fulfilling a task or a responsibility in the parish. Well, certainly that's part of it. Serving in the parish is about all of us as Christ followers receiving the authority that God has given us to make disciples and then walking in that authority, going ahead and make disciples. By the way, you can still sign up to serve this season or anytime you like. Just go to our website. It's churchnativity.com. Then go to Next Steps and Ministry. You'll find dozens of different opportunities there. But let me take another moment to talk to you about just one of them. The COVID ordeal of the last year has impacted us all in many ways, perhaps in every way. One of the most widely shared concerns is the negative impact it's had on our children and students. School closures, sports cancellations, social distancing, everything else that they've experienced, everything else that's been taken away from them raises a range of concerns from academic standing to mental health. A friend of mine shared an article with me recently 
that sums it up well. Rarely have America's children suffered so many blows and all at once as during the pandemic's lost year. The crisis has hit children on multiple fronts. Many have experienced social isolation during lockdowns, family stress, a breakdown of routine, and anxiety about the virus. School schedules, remote teaching, and learning interruptions have set many back academically. Some parents have had job and income losses, creating financial instability, thereby exacerbating kids' stress. And of course, thousands of children have lost a parent or grandparent to the disease. At Nativity, we very much look forward to welcoming, welcoming back kids and students to our programs. In fact, it's what we're most looking forward to post-COVID. And we're already making plans to do just that so they can enjoy the church experience they need and deserve. Of course, moving forward, we'll still be offering most all of our programs online, too. That's just now a permanent part of who we are and what we do. But starting this fall, if permitted, God willing, we fully intend to offer all our kids and student programs live and in person right here on our Ridgely Road campus. We want church to be one of the first places kids return to, bringing their parents and grandparents back with them. So, permit me to suggest a very specific challenge for your consideration. On the weekend of April 24th and 25th, we'll be inviting you to support our Next Generation Ministry by making an investment in that ministry. We'll be inviting you to make a commitment to serve in the ministry by serving in some specific, simple way in just one of our many programs. And for those who simply cannot make that kind of commitment, we'll be inviting you to commit to a prayer campaign. A prayer campaign we'll be hosting this fall for the success of our reopening and the successful return of our young people to full active participation here at church. Our first responsibility and greatest opportunity is influencing and em empowering the next generation with our faith, to empower them with our authority in Christ. Let's take this rare season we find ourselves in to do something different, to do something really important. On behalf of our kids and teens, let's meet this moment for them. <laughs> 